message tonight is the unmoving bullseye. I know that we're in Wisconsin. I know there's deer here, and I would assume there's some interest in deer hunting. And I know enough about it that um, if you're a hunter, you practice, and when you practice, you shoot for a bullseye. Now, if you have a target and you're practicing to shoot at it, you could you can say, well, and in fact, some targets got different bullseyes on them. You can say, I want to hit the bullseye on the right or on the left, down the bottom, or you can say, I want to shoot for this corner. You can you can kind of put your bullseye where you want it to be. Uh, when you're deer hunting, uh, your bullseye can move around a bit too because depending how that deer is facing you de- depends exactly where you want it to hit it, where you want your bullseye to be, depending on how it is uh, facing you or not facing you. And the deer might come over here to your left. you got to swing over here to get the bullseye. It may be way over here on the right, and you find your bullseye over there. And so that's a, that's a moving bullseye. But the bullseye I want to talk about tonight is an unmoving bullseye. It's a target. Maybe I can just draw one up here. Like that. And right in the center here is a bullseye. Center of that target. Talking tonight about a target. I'm talking about a goal. And I'm talking about the will of God that is right here, right in the middle, the will of God. I invite you tonight to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence of the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, 
I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And then chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my dear, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul, in this chapter, he gives a testimony. It is a testimony that rings, clears a bell. He talks about how his former life, he had been a very religious man, a religious person. He had all the right pedigree. I mean, he was circumcised the eighth day. He had, did have been done right. He was of the stock of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, he had, he had it all. Been carried to church all his life, we could say. And when it came to the law, I mean, if there was, if there was any righteousness in obeying the law, he would have had it because he obeyed that law perfectly. He knew it. He had it all together. He had all the head knowledge. He was very religious. He was zealous. And he was headed for hell. But, but he got saved. He got born again. He became a real Christian like we talked about the other night. I think Paul was so excited and enthused to be a real Christian. No more of this old put on stuff. His testimony was real. And he goes on to say, when we come to verse 13, he says, forgetting those things that are behind. He said, brethren, forget that stuff back there. All that hypocrisy. All that sin that was in my life that I covered up. All that foolishness. Forgetting that stuff. Those are things that are behind me. And in verse 14, he says, I press toward the mark. Paul said, I am focused. I have got a goal. I am straining towards the bullseye. That's what he was saying. I press towards the mark. Beautiful testimony. Again, here tonight, we see Paul's heart for the church. In verse 1, you know, you, you read these verses, and I've read over them so many times, and then I, I study for a message, and all at once you see something you never saw before. In verse 1, Paul is saying, you know, I'm, I'm writing the same things to you. Here I come again, and I'm writing the same thing. And he said, for me to do it is not grievous. I know I've told you before, but I'm coming back and I'm telling you again, and it's not a problem for me to do it. He said, it's for your safety. And then he says, beware of dogs. How many of you have dogs at home? Oh, quite a few. I haven't met a lot of your dogs yet. Um, 
I met Tim's dog tonight. He didn't seem too scary. Now, Paul says, beware of dogs. In fact, Tim's dog seemed really happy to be in the house. He was just happy to be with me. Um, Didn't seem scary at all. Beware of dogs. I went to Caleb's shop the other day, and you know what? His dog came over, sniffed at me a few minutes, and laid down on the floor and slept like a baby. He wasn't scary at all. Some people have scary dogs. Does anybody here tonight have a scary dog? One that might take a bite out of my leg. Nobody's raising their hand. Well, I, I can tell you an experience I had many years ago. I was a carpenter. Back before the days of cell phones, okay? And you young men today, you, you don't know what that was like. Because back in those days, we'd go out and we'd build pole buildings, one after another, out in the country, had no cell phones at all, nothing. And any time you needed something, you had to go somewhere and find a phone. Can you imagine that? That's how you had to do it. And so I'd have to go in, and oftentimes working for a farmer out back somewhere, and in this particular day, I needed something, and I had to find a phone, so I went into the farmhouse to see if somebody was home, that I use their telephone. And I'm walking in the sidewalk, and I remember, I kind of remember thinking, I, I saw a sign on the house, something about beware of dog, and I didn't pay any attention to that. I'm walking in the sidewalk all at once. A big old German shepherd came running out of somewhere, and running up the sidewalk right for me, and just as he got to me, he leaped, and I put my arm up like this, and he got me right here. He was going for my throat. Beware of dogs. Now, that's not the kind of dog that Paul is talking about here, though. Paul's not talking about German shepherds. He's talking about evil workers, he says in verse 2. Beware of the evil workers. He talks about the enemies of the cross. Beware of the enemies of the cross. Beware, he says, of those that mind earthly things. Beware of those people. He's he's warning the church. Beware of dogs. He's talking about being aware of those that have a target that isn't there. Their target is off somewhere else. The will of God is right here. That's the center of our target tonight. The will of God. Beware of those that have a target that moves around. I'd like to establish a couple things here tonight. First of all, in verse 14, he says, I press toward the mark. So what is the mark? What is this mark that we're talking about? What is the mark that that Paul is talking about here? I press toward the mark. Well, I think the translation of that would possibly be goal. He's saying, I'm I'm pressing toward the goal, the target, the bullseye, the will of God, right here, right in the middle, the will of God, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, he calls it, the, the center of truth. But take all the truth of God's Word together and put it all in one lump. It's right here. The will of God. The pressing toward the center of truth. I'm pressing toward the center of obedience. Paul said, that's what I'm pressing towards. That's the mark. And then the second thing I'd like to establish tonight is this. That the mark doesn't change. That's a very simple concept. We can understand that. But we need to, understand, we need to get that. In our life tonight, your brother and sister, the mark doesn't change. The bullseye does not move. 
We're talking about an unmoving bullseye tonight. We're talking about the will of God, and the will of God is unchanging. I'll illustrate with a, another story. The other night we were down in the basement, and Eric's two oldest boys, Aaron and Joel, were shooting their bows and arrows at tigers. Well, they were kind of stuffed tigers or something. But they were shooting their bows and arrows. Well, there's a story about another little boy that he had bow and arrows, and he liked to shoot his bow and arrows. And he was shooting his arrows at a target that was a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood. So he had a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood, big target, and he was shooting his arrows at that. And the little boy, he was all excited about shooting his bow. And so he went in the house to find older brother. He finds older brother in the house. He says, you know, come out and watch me shoot my bow and my arrows. And he's all excited. He said, I'm really good at it. Oh, really? Yep, I'm really good. He said, I hit the bullseye every time. Really? Yeah. He said, come out and watch me. So older, older brother follows little brother out of the house. They go out and little brother grabs his bow and his two arrows and he shoots at that four bait sheet of plywood, shoots his two arrows and then he runs up there and he takes his crayon and he draws a circle right around his arrows. You see, he was hitting the bullseye every time. Because he moved the bullseye to his arrows. And you know, dear people, that's exactly where some religious people are today. They're moving the bullseye. This is the will of God right here, the center of truth. And they're shooting over here somewhere and they're drawing a circle around and they're saying we're in the bullseye. They're adjusting the target. They're changing the goal. They're ignoring the will of God. And my friends, tonight, that is a problem. It's a big problem. Friends, when Paul said, I press toward the mark, he's talking about a mark, about a target that doesn't move. The will of God doesn't change. Truth doesn't change. His commands don't change. His principles don't change. We talk about the attributes of God, and that's a good thing to talk about. There's many attributes of God. And one of those attributes of God is that He is unchanging. Right? God is an unchanging God. We know that because the Bible tells us so. And, and I, I, you don't need to take time to run to these references in your Bible, but I'm going to quote them. You can help me with them. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change what? Not. You know your Bibles. I am the Lord, I change not. God says I don't change. The target doesn't move. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 12. It talks about how heaven and earth will pass away and they'll be folded up like a, like a garment. The things fade and decay and change, but he says, but thou art the what? Does anybody know? Same. And thy years shall not fail. The Bible says that God stays the same. Same. Yeah. Doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ the what? Same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Same. 
James chapter 1, verse 17, God in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God, His unchangingness? No variableness, no shadow of turning. God is immutable. That's a big word for unchanging. God is unchanging. And we love that attribute about, attribute about God. That's beautiful. You know, His love is unchanging. Always loves me every day. His mercy is unchanging. His grace is unchanging. His long-suffering is unchanging. His goodness, it's all great. Never changes. But neither does that bullseye. That center of truth. The mark, the will of God. It doesn't change. And it doesn't matter how smart we might get. Or how many years might expire and go by? Or what the culture around us progresses to? You know, and I don't know, but I'm going to say the United States of America many years ago was a lot closer to this than it is today, maybe. I don't know. But we know that the culture that we live in today, you know, their target is maybe off the chart. But it doesn't matter how many miles off the chart our culture's target is, God's target doesn't move. It stays the same. Now we turn me to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. We have a little parable here that Jesus said, spoke, taught, written down for our good. Chapter 18, verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in the city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet, because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. It's an interesting parable about a widow that was being misused and she goes to the judge, an ungodly man that had no respect for God, had no respect for anybody. And he, but she just kept coming and finally, she, and he finally said, okay, what do you want? I'll do what you want because of her persistence. Anyhow, there's several lessons here. One is that um, we should be persistent in prayer. Okay, It says in verse 1, he, Jesus gave this parable. So that we know that we always ought to pray and not to faint. Okay, so we're, we're to learn from this that we're to continue to pray. And that's not really my subject tonight. But along with that, he says, and not to faint. And so we are to never give up in following truth. Never, never leave, never move your sights from hitting this. All right. And that we ought not to faint. And shooting for the center of truth. And then Jesus ends this parable in verse 8, and I read it, with a question. And it relates to that thought 
that we're not to give up. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. When Jesus Christ comes back, and we've talked about this now numerous times this week, when he comes back and splits the eastern sky and comes to gather his bride, will he find faith here on earth? That's the question that Jesus asks. Will he find those who have not moved from the bullseye of truth that are still focused on that? They may not be there, but they are headed there. And again tonight, I'm not talking about perfection. There's none of us here tonight that are perfect. And again, we believe in progressive sanctification. We believe in growth. And we're not all there. Paul said, I'm not there. I haven't apprehended. But he said, that's what I'm focused on. That's where I'm headed toward. That's what we're talking about tonight. And that's what Jesus is saying. Will I find faith on the earth? Will he find those who have not watered down what the will of God is? Now I want to tell you some things about what the Bible says about that. And again, I'm not going to ask you to turn to them. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he says, In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. Okay? The Bible says in the last times, even those that are religious, instead of aiming for this, they're going to aim somewhere else. That's what the Bible says. They shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, and have a conscience that is seared with a hot iron. And so, the Bible says that what we can expect to see in the last time, people that quit aiming for this and they're going to set up a, a bullseye somewhere else because they have believed the lies of the devil. And see, when you, when you tell yourself something often enough, you finally start to believe it. And that's what happens to people. And then not only do you start to believe it, you start to live what's over here. And pretty soon your conscience is seared and you think, well, I'm... I'm doing fine. I feel spiritual. I'm right over here and I'm feeling spiritual. There's a lot of other people over here with me. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, the time will come when the church, some of the church will not embrace sound doctrine. They won't embrace the will of God. And they'll turn away from truth and fables. From truth to fables. Same thing. There's coming a time, the Bible says, when, when, when men are going to be listening to fables. Aiming somewhere else. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. Take heed, brethren and sisters, young people, that you keep your aim here and don't move it somewhere else. Second Peter chapter 3, 16 and 7. It talks about people that in the last days they will twist and misconstrue the Scripture. And I'm putting that in my own words. And he says, Beloved, beware lest ye also be led away from your steadfastness, unless somehow you are distracted from focusing on the center of truth, the will of God. And so the Bible is very clear that the time will come when religious people will not embrace truth. And so we come down to where my heart beats on this message tonight. I believe that that time that the scripture talks about is here. It is now. It is today. And I am, I don't want to be a doomsday preacher. I, I try to be positive. 
But I am concerned about the apostasy all around us. That means falling away from God. I, I'm concerned as we look at our own circles of people. And they leave and they fall away from God. And we go to family reunions and we say, what happened? I haven't seen these people in 20 years. What happened to them? They're not focused on the, on the will of God. What happened to them? And we go to funerals and we go to weddings and we say, what is going on? Those that once were, were aiming for the mark, they've got some other target they're shooting at. What is going on? And it concerns me, and I I believe it concerns you too. And Jesus asked this question 2,000 years ago. And part of that answer is very clear. And part of the answer has not been answered yet. It's unanswered. But today, tonight, that question rings out, and it rings out loud and clear. Jesus said this. He said, will he find faith? Will he find faith on the earth? And the answer, part of the answer is yes, he's going to find faith. We know that. We saw a bunch of hands last night of a bunch of people that are intending to get to heaven. I believe with all my heart, I know with all my heart, I'm convinced that he will find faith. There's going to be a church, there's going to be a marriage of the church and the Lamb. And so part of the answer is yes. The unanswered part of that question is, will he find faith in the Troyer house? Will he find faith in the Martin house? In the Wyrick house? Will he find faith in the Schrock house, the Miller house, whatever the name of your house is, will he find faith there? And then the real question tonight is, will he find faith in your heart? That's the real question tonight. Will they find faith in your heart? Will he find you focused on the bullseye, pressing for the mark? It concerns me when I see people our dear people leaving conservative Mennonite church. And I want to tell you tonight, dear friends, that there is no salvation in being a conservative Mennonite. I, I use that term as a way to identify us. You see, friends, heaven is going to be non-denominational. There's going to be one denomination in heaven. That is the real Christians. That's it. And so I'm using the term conservative Mennonite as a way to identify. My concern is people leaving our circles, and they have left, and they're tired of the stuffiness and the rigidness of the conservative Mennonite church, and they go on to something that is less stuffy and less rigid, they're tired of the conservative Mennonite doctrine and conservative Mennonite traditions. Well, I want to tell you something tonight. The doctrine of separation, the doctrine of nonconformity, 
The doctrine of modesty. The doctrine of the sister's head covering. The doctrine of absence from the world. Those, these are not conservative Mennonite doctrine, neither are they Anabaptist doctrine. They are Bible doctrine. It's Bible. It's part of the target. It's part of the bullseye. It's part of what the center of truth is. The will of God. And I would quote tonight Brother William Byler, Bonners Ferry, Idaho. He wrote this. He said, It is true that Anabaptists are the largest group of people in the USA that uphold the doctrine of separation, nonconformity, modesty, head covering, abstinence from the world. Thereby these truths get tagged as Anabaptist doctrine or conservative Mennonite doctrine. It's a good thing if we are known for this belief, but it is not ours, it's Bible doctrine. And when people run from these doctrines... They are not running from the stuffiness and the rigidness of conservative Mennonitism. They are running from the center of truth. It is the will of God. I realize tonight that there is room for application. The Bible gives room for application. Your church has application that is different than our church. And the Bible gives room for that. There is no doubt about it. But, but I want to also remind us tonight that holiness is not a moving target. Righteousness is not a moving target. Bible doctrine is not determined by man, but by God. And one of the tendencies of men and women and surrounding in our culture, all around us, we, we feel this pressure. Um, we like things that are new. We like what other people like. We like things that are cool, if I can use that term. What is perceived as cool. And because we like those things, there's a tendency to push lines. But I need to tell us again tonight, you know what? That's a problem because Bible doctrine doesn't change. And I want to remind us lovingly tonight that the Bible clearly states that God is going to hold us accountable for our understanding of the will of God. Uh, you cannot get away from that. You read the Bible. Um, the Bible is written... Um, contains simple truths that are written it's written by carpenters and shepherds and fishermen and common people so that we common people today, men and women, can understand those truths. And the Bible simply says that as we have understanding of the will of God, that he's going to hold us accountable to that, to live up to that. And I'm not going to take time to read Scripture tonight, but I refer back to um, maybe two verses. 
two places. Luke chapter 12, and I'll kind of put it in my words. It says, the man or woman that knows God's will, and I'm putting it in my words, but the men and women that know God's will, but they don't embrace it or do it. It says they shall be beaten with many stripes. And and there's many verses we could go to that God holds us accountable to our understanding of, of the will of God. James chapter 4, verse 17, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It's very plain. And so we know what the will of God is. It's been revealed to us. We understand it. It is required of us. And, you know, I, I don't know how God's going to sort it all out, but I believe that those in Africa that have had very little understanding of the will of God, they're going to be held for a lot less accountable than you and I are. And you might say, well, that's not fair. I'll tell you what, we're coming out on the good end of the deal on that one. It's a blessing to understand the will of God. It's such a blessing. But God holds us accountable to it. Okay, so I want to make this practical here tonight. Um, I'll encourage you to press for the mark. The unchanging bullseye of biblical doctrine. And so when we talk about the Bible doctrine of separation and nonconformity and modesty. Um, you know, when, when we talk about those three things, immediately we think about clothes. And they involve a lot more than clothes. There's a lot of other things in life that need to be nonconformed and separated and modest. But immediately we think about clothes. And I'm not a clothes preacher. But I will preach Bible doctrine. And what I would have... To say about that tonight, especially as we think about clothes, I would, tonight I would call the fathers, the men, the spiritual leaders of the homes, I would call you to diligence in these areas. First of all, I believe that us men, you know, we expect the ladies to be diligent. And to be modest, and to be separated, and to be nonconformed. I believe we ought to lead the way ourselves. I think we ask an awful lot of them, and sometimes don't produce a whole lot ourselves. I'm talking about us men. And I call us men tonight to diligence. And I like to say this that when we see sisters in our congregations that are are not maybe where they should be with modesty and, and separation and nonconformity and dress. You know what? I don't point my finger at the sisters. I point my finger at the husbands, at the fathers. We need to be called to diligence. And I think oftentimes when we see these things on our sisters, it's a result of a husband that doesn't have personal convictions. We are the spiritual leaders. And maybe there's some single moms here tonight or single ladies And you're saying, what am I supposed to do? Well, if you are here tonight, God bless you. And I want to tell you something. If you are not with a husband, a spiritual leader, God gives you special grace and special strength. I've seen it time and time again. He will give you what you need to be diligent in these areas. But I call men to diligence tonight to have convictions. I would like to say further about this whole thing about separation, nonconformity, modesty. You know what? There's something powerful about a congregation that is unified not only in spirit but in application. There's something powerful about that. And you see, when we, when we, when, when a congregation that is disunified 
an application that will eventually disunify in doctrine. And so we need to be careful with that. And I would like to say one more thing. That when, when, when it comes to those practical things, when one of us moves away from, when we move away from what our congregation has agreed upon as a safe place for us to be in these areas, when one of us moves away from that and pushes the line, you know what? It pushes others to the line. Because you see, like we talked about last night, maybe it was, we are radically interconnected. And when one moves to push the line, it pulls others towards the line. God help us. Another practical area is absence from worldliness, to abstain from worldliness. It's a simple Bible doctrine. We got scripture. First John chapter 2, 15, 16, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it talks about uh, the, oh, you know what, I better turn to it. I can't quote it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay? The center of truth. God's will is that we would abstain from worldliness. Well, we, what is worldliness? Well, as I understand it, Worldliness, as, as you would look at it here, as written in, these, in this scripture, it, it refers to the pursuits and pleasures of the world, the fads and fashions of the world. Okay? We're to abstain from that. I, we talked about it last night. You know, we, well, we're so different than the world. You better believe it we're different than the world. That ought to be obvious. We're to abstain from worldliness. And it says that if we don't, we're not, we're not of God. It's of the world. And we really just need to think about it, dear people, the fads and fashions of the world. Do we really want to follow the fads and fashions of the world? We've got to think where it's coming from. These things, fads and fashions, they come from somewhere. We need to think about that. Everything comes from somewhere. They come from somewhere. And so who is calling the signals in my life? And I'll make up. Yeah, I'll make a practical example. I said I don't, want, I don't preach clothes and I really don't want to, but I'm, I'm going to, if you allow me to make one point. It's kind of a general point. You know, years ago, okay, you look at our pictures, Karen and me go way back, and you look at the pictures, it is pathetic, the length of the dresses. You know what I'm saying? Short dresses back in the day. And so, so then we moved from that, and all at once this long dress thing came in. And, oh, man, what are we going to do with this? Now everybody wants to wear long dresses down the floor. What in the world? And I remember Bible school and things, and, and you know, so, but we're... But it's modest, and so we have accepted that, and I appreciate it, I like it, I like the long dresses. But I remember in Maranatha Bible School, student girls telling us, and they were so happy that that we had allowed the long dresses, and they said, you know what, we will never wear short dresses. But you know what, that thing is coming back in, and it's showing up. And we need to ask ourselves, where are these things coming from? 
Is this coming from God's kingdom or is it coming from Satan's kingdom? Who is calling the signals on this thing? Abstain from worldliness. A simple verse, just to make my point in James 4, 4. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is the enemy of God. Friends, when it comes to separation and nonconformity and modesty and abstaining from worldliness, I want to tell you something tonight that church standards are important. I'm, I'm a full supporter of them. I think they're very important. They're safeguards. They are, the, the scripture says, the schoolmasters to bring us to Christ, okay? But I want to tell you something else. Church standards and just being in the church standard inside of them isn't going to save you. And if you're trusting in church standards, if that's where your if that's where your faith is, basically what you're doing is you're putting your life in neutral and you're coasting along. And you know, as long as I stay inside of there, I just coast along and bump off them once in a while, and maybe not too bad. I'll tell you something. There's something that's a lot more important than that, and that is to have personal convictions. Have personal convictions. Embracing the will of God for yourself. And it makes the whole issue of church standards just go away. When you embrace the will of God, you embrace the doctrine of God for yourself and make it personal, have personal convictions. Doing right because it's right. Doing right because I want to and not because I have to. When we have personal convictions for the, for the will of God, see then, friend, we can say, like Paul, I'm pressing toward the mark. That's what's pressing towards the mark. That's what it is. You know, tonight we all know people. We all know people tonight that have, that have once been in the church. And today they're, they're maybe out on the edge. Or even, maybe they even they've moved off the chart somewhere. You know what? It started, it started by adjusting the target. Somehow they thought, I can aim over here. Or someone else was aiming over here. And they said, why don't you come and join us? It's more spiritual over here. I'll tell you something tonight, friends. I've heard that so often, that I'm going over here because it's more spiritual. You can never move away from God into the world and be more spiritual. You can't do it. That's not in my Bible. And so, tonight, the question is, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, will he find faith? In your house, will they find faith in your heart? Are you pressing toward the unchanging mark, the will of God for you? Shall we pray? Father, 